C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And today we are joined by a most esteemed guest, a doctor, in fact, one of the more esteemed we've ever had, Carolyn Four. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So um, we're going to be talking a lot in the interview portion about Carolyn's book that she wrote called Millennials Taking the Lead about millennial leadership in the workplace. So we're really excited about that. But just, you know, to get started and so people can get used to your voice, if you wouldn't mind just giving a brief intro about yourself, maybe where you grew up and um, what you're doing now. Um, Okay, so I um, live in Atlanta, Georgia. And I even though I Grew up in Augusta, Georgia. I really consider Atlanta home because I've spent my entire adult life. And since I'm a baby boomer, not a millennial, that's um, a a lot of years in Atlanta, (laughs) (laughs) many more than my uh, childhood. And um, so um, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, when we get into the interview about my background in uh, the corporate world and working with uh, multi-generational teams and how I got into my interest with millennials. But after I um, did that for a while, I actually retired and began teaching as my retirement career. So now I teach MBA students at Bernal University. And so I continue to be involved with millennials um, through, through that opportunity, which I enjoy a lot. Awesome. Great. Can't wait to dig into more of your background. Um, Going into the segments, Shay, do you have a hot topic for us? Uh, I do. I had originally prepared one that was a little more, uh, let's say, provoked a little more conversation. But then a very important event in current news happened last Mm. night, and I felt like I had to bring it up uh, in pop culture news. And that is that Blanche Eliza Schlesinger, the comedian who did the wonderful special Elder Millennial that we talked about on here several months ago, her sweet dog, uh, Blanche, passed away unexpectedly. And it was all over Instagram. And it, you know, it seems it was an account that I enjoyed following um, as a dog mom myself. But the reason I brought it up as a campfire topic was not just for the moment of silence for the sweet puppy, but what I love that Eliza did through her dog Blanche was create this sense of community that millennials so... uh, so strive for and and are so desperate for in so many ways and it was really interesting kind of reading this kind of fan um the fan outpouring of sympathy and love and all of these people i mean hundreds thousands of people from all over the world are sharing in this woman's grief over her little rescue dog and um making donations to the to the rescue that that Eliza got the dog from so i just thought it was an interesting you know not just an interesting kind of pinpoint in pop culture but also um how 
millennials, um, and Eliza, as she says, is an elder millennial, an ancient millennial, as we call it here, um, create these communities online and in social media, which is something that you talk about a lot in your book, Carolyn. Yes, social social media is something that millennials really um, use a lot because uh, one of the things I found about millennials is how collaborative they are and how much they um, rely on their peers and work together that is uh, unique to that generation. I mean, it's, it's I think, uh, also something that the next generation has picked up too, but didn't happen prior to millennials. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also, we've talked a little bit about this too in previous episodes, the dog piece specifically, and Eliza mm-hmm. is, you know, she doesn't have children. She just got married a couple years ago. And, you know, the kind of surrogacy of having a child through your dog has maybe, you know, bonded these women to their animals in a way that, you know, in previous generations, a pet was not maybe considered a part of the family the same way it is today. And I thought that was really interesting because when she she wrote this little eulogy for the dog and she talks about that not so blatantly, but she says, you know, I got her, I was young, I was in my twenties. I had no idea what I was doing. And this creature having to be the caretaker for this little creature really matured me as a human. And I I thought that was a really interesting acknowledgement that we don't always make about our animals who are just supposed to be there for our (laughs) enjoyment. But yeah, I think it also, goes to that um, millennials waiting longer to have children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so part of that growing up process, that it's a part of that step that um, a lot of us had children at a much younger age. Um, I mean, I actually waited a little bit longer to have children and I was one of the last of my friends <laughs> and I was still in my twenties when yeah. I had my first child. And so a lot of millennials are um realizing that they want to get into their careers or become uh, more responsible before they have children. And so they're having these more independent lives and they're having pets and those are becoming their children or their ability to accept responsibility and learn from them. So it is a different dynamic and it is kind of interesting to watch. Yes, definitely. An excellent hot topic Shay thanks I just I was literally I felt so silly but I was crying <laughs> crying when I saw oh. this news last night so I was like I have to bring it up um all right Natty do you have a toasty log for our campfire yeah well I um this is kind of I guess as we're moving into the new format for the show that it's kind of a hybrid millennial moment hot topic it is a hot topic but it pertains to my life so a little bit of a hybrid but as we've talked about on the show a little bit before I'm studying for the GMAT right now um, to hopefully get into an MBA program and since Carolyn has experience with millennial MBA students um, and just millennials in academia you know um, I'm interested in, you know, hearing just anecdotally, Carolyn, how you feel the bar to get into these programs has gone up. Because I was talking to my dad and he got an MBA in the 80s and just talking to him about, you know, the barrier to entry of what the cost of the tests are, what the cost of the applications are, how much the scores have gone up and up and up, Um you know, maybe compared to when you were in undergrad or your first go at grad school, 
you know, a number of years ago compared to your experience in a PhD program, maybe there were some millennials in that program versus teaching them how you see that barrier to entry for higher education changing. And I know Shay has also had experiences with this, like maybe between Shay has two master's degrees. So maybe between the first master's degree to the second master's degree, and you also had a little bit of experience applying to PhD programs. So I'm just interested as a young millennial that's kind of dabbling in the grad school world, if it's always been this difficult or if uh, I'm just feeling it for the first time or if it's actually changing as we go through time. That's, you know, that's pretty interesting because um, I got my master's degree um, shortly out of college, not immediately, but after two years of working. And I didn't get my PhD until my youngest child was in college. So I only recently, a few, 10 years ago, uh, less than 10 years ago, finished my PhD. And I was working full time. And so it took me a while to complete it. So um there definitely was a difference there, but for me, but I do see it as very competitive and um, that this, that so many students today, millennials especially, um, but there are a lot of students who are older students who are mm-hmm. going back to, but this um, goal to be perfect, like uh, the students who just can't accept that they aren't making an A and that they have to they have to have an A in every class. It's like, okay, well, why do you have to have an A in every class? You need to focus on what you're learning. And so that whole, the way that all the scores have gone up, I see it in, in the schools, in the high school, college, then the graduate school programs is that everyone is devastated if they aren't making perfect grades instead of focusing on what they're learning. And I think that part concerns me. Yeah, I mean, I think this, Carolyn, you make such a good point, this desire to get an A in everything and be perfect for whatever reason. And I think people like to make a lot of speculations about why millennials have to have that perfect grade or the perfect review, et cetera, et cetera. It's because we always got all the trophies or or whatever. But um, I think, of course, it's it's more complicated than that. But I think what's really interesting about that is I'm really curious to see what Gen Z mm-hmm. is like in regards to grades as they kind of come into the workforce and into university. Um, I was talking with my 13-year-old cousin, who's been a, a guest of our podcast before, and she just is like, she's worried about her grades because she's worried about you know, what maybe her parents will say, but she doesn't personally care if she gets an A or a B or a C. She's like, eh, if I pass, I pass. And I remember again, and I'm almost 35, so I'm an, an ancient millennial. And the idea of like not getting an A or, I mean, not getting an A really was just so devastating to me, but she doesn't really care. And listening to her speak and to her little friends talk about it, it doesn't seem to be an uncommon sentiment among them. So I I think that'll be really interesting to see what shifts that brings as, you know, millennials are leaving academia, well, not leaving academia, but leaving that kind of academic life cycle. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch Gen Z. And I haven't done a lot of research on them yet. And of course, they're just starting. The oldest ones are Mm -hmm. getting out of high school now. And, um, 
And so um, I, the ones that I see, so I have grandchildren that go from the oldest Gen Z's down to the youngest. And so I'm watching them and I kind of, I, I'm agreeing with you on that. My observation is that they are not as focused um, yeah. as millennials on those perfect grades. And, yeah. and I wonder and, too, if it's kind of like, you know, depending on who raises them like you talk a little bit about this in your book carolyn like the differences between baby boomer baby boomers and gen x and gen x has always stereotypically been a little bit more apathetic a little bit more withdrawn from like community stuff whereas millennials and baby boomers are maybe a little bit more similar in that regard so it'll be interesting to see if gen z takes after gen x in that kind of you know not as much of a joiner mentality as maybe millennials had Yes, it will be interesting to see. Yeah. That's my hot topic. Carolyn, do you have a hot topic for us to discuss today? I don't have a hot topic. Um, um, I I just, I had a thought. I've been listening to some of your podcasts. So yeah. you, you said you aren't going to... Um, do the um, millennial. That's okay. Moment. Happy to take <laughs> you can give one right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, I had, and it's not really a millennial moment because, of course, I don't have a millennial moment, but I had something that kept coming back to me as I listened to some things that, um, that you said that just kind of um, resonated with me and how funny it is. I mean, so many things like have gone through so many shifts in the workplace, but the whole term of side hustle. And (laughs) to me, that is like such a funny um, term. I mean, I hear it all the time. It's not like I just heard it on your podcast, but um, it's just, I started thinking about it so much and thinking, you know, that is just such a shift in our mentality from um, now almost every millennial, not every millennial, but it's so common for millennials to have a side hustle Mm -hmm. and that it's, viewed as a good thing because it shows initiative and it's an opportunity for you to have a, a job. Oh, this is how I interpret it. Anyway, you have a job that pays your bills, but then you do something else that's um, using your creati- creativity and perhaps your future job, like taking you in a direction that you want to go that maybe you can't go in your um, career that's paying your bills. Or So you're kind of thinking about either something that's going to be your future or just something you enjoy doing outside of work. And back in my career days, and especially even before mine, but even very much in my early career days, you didn't dare have a second job or something that you did outside of work because your focus was supposed to be on your company. And I can remember finding out that someone at work had a second job it's like wait you can't do that (laughs) (laughs) because you know you just can't do that it takes away from your your focus on our company because you're supposed to be dedicated to our company and so how could you possibly spend time working somewhere else too or doing doing something else in your spare time (laughs) so it's just such a shift in our mentality yeah, I think it's so interesting. And, um, you know, it's funny because as, again, being a little bit cuspy between generations myself, I mean, I remember I had contracts in some of my earlier jobs that said very clearly the non-compete was 
you may not have any other job of any other kind in any other field while working here, which technically means you couldn't, you know, wait tables or or whatever. But I think what's so interesting about the side hustle is, of course, for so many of us, it is a passion project. And um, I certainly have many passion projects. But be, for all of us millennials post-recession, a lot of it has become about just catching up financially. And if we don't have that second job, then we can't necessarily, not that we can't make ends meet, but we can't have the same kind of level of lifestyle that perhaps our parents had with just a single job or even a single income household. Yeah. I think to kind of echo Shay, I think that's, it's, I, I definitely feel the same way. And to go back to what you were saying, Carolyn, like, it's so funny because I, just recently started helping Shay out. Shay's an entrepreneur and I've been helping her out with her job on the side. And I was telling my parents about it who are baby boomers. And my dad was like, well, make sure you don't work on it, you know, on your work laptop or like at work, because even his company, he's like, people have gotten in trouble, not, you know, in the same field, but like some common things are like people who are real estate agents on the side or people who are part of, you know, like Avon, Mary Kay, like, multi-level marketing that are trying to sell it at work like have gotten in trouble and it wasn't something that I had thought about and so it's interesting to hear you talk about it because it was so ingrained for you and it for my dad it's kind of like a reflexive thing of like oh like you know you shouldn't need to work on it but to Shay's point like I make a very comfortable salary at my day job I'm an accountant but at the same time like if you look at you know the cost of buying a house and all these things you know that we've talked about throughout this podcast and I'm sure Carolyn you're aware through your research as well like the cost of living you know I can live comfortably and I'm not going to be homeless or anything that drastic but it's like to aspire to the you know upper middle class lifestyle that I grew up with that my parents have been able to achieve the side hustle has almost become a necessity in a way so it's interesting to kind of see that generational divide there yeah yeah it really is a change and, and I think companies are starting to realize that um, that they can't write those things in their contracts anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Similarly to like work-life balance, it's something that millennials have come to expect. And they're like, oh, well, if I'm putting in the hours for you and I still have hours left over in the day, why would you dictate what I'm doing? You know, that kind of thing. So I've definitely seen that. Yeah. But great observation. Shall we dive into the interview? I'm excited to do it. So just to preface, I have Carolyn's book here. And I thought, you know, just to give a little brief synopsis. So the book kind of details, you know, in great, great detail, you did a lot of research for this, um, what makes millennial leaders and millennials in the workplace so unique. And what I thought, a couple things that I thought was nice about this, the graphics I thought were very nice. I'm a visual learner. Um, and giving kind of the differences, not just focusing on millennials, but giving the differences between generations. But I thought I would just go through these are kind of um, the main things that you had pointed out that were unique to millennial leaders. And that includes passion, continuous learning, work-life balance, doing what they say they'll do, meaning, you know, follow through from the leader, mentoring, technology, collaboration, doing the right thing social consciousness and trust. And I felt very seen reading this book. I don't know about you, Shay, but I there yeah. we've I've had a lot of uh, 
you know, speaking to my own experience recently, like in the past year, I changed jobs um, from a very, you know, high stress industry to a more like startup millennial focused culture. And, and I thought that making that change would get rid of all of the problems I felt about not being seen and not, you know, having maybe poor leadership. And it really hasn't like my lifestyle is a lot better. And they definitely I have better work-life balance, but a lot of the things that you wrote about, you know, it seems kind of basic, but like doing the right thing, having, you know, a social backing of what you're doing, those kinds of things seem second nature to me, but having it explained out in the book against what baby boomers and traditionalists, which we refer to as the greatest generation, kind of believe, I thought um, was really great. I don't know, Shay, if you have any like first thoughts on the book before we start peppering Carolyn with questions. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely do have a few comments. I mean, first of all, I did think that was so interesting kind of looking at those four generations and how they interacted and how certain um, aspects of one would spawn a certain aspect of the following or, you know, the next, the following, following (laughs) generation. So that was really helpful for me and, and gave me definitely a lot to think about. Now, I do have a quick question. Are traditionalists the same as the greatest generation? Because I thought the greatest generation was a little earlier. Well, what I did, because I was looking at the workforce, mm-hmm. um, and at the time I started working on all this, there were still some of that older generation in the workforce. Right now, there are very few who are above baby boomers who are still working. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that there are still some who are CEOs or mm-hmm. people who have gone back to work and mm-hmm. you know, like to do or run a family business or something. Yeah. Um, but so I just kind of lumped them together because you can they've they've got multiple names. There's the silent generation, the greatest generation. So I think the greatest generation are really those people who are the world war. Um, two veterans, those guys Mm -hmm. in the 90s that we saw in the D-Day celebrations on TV. And then the silent generation are the ones that are um, in there that are just below that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at trying to um, say, well, who's still alive today and who might be working? I just lumped them together and called them. I I started out in actually my dissertation, I called them the veterans and that Mm -hmm. when I look at some of the um, research and some of the best known authors on uh, generational cohorts and uh, information about them, I tried to kind of lump together that type of information. And then when I started to write the book, I thought, you know, that starts to um, look like I'm talking about people who served in the military. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to call them the veteran generation. So I just named it traditionalist. So anyone who's above a baby boomer who's still in the workforce since, you know, since mine is all about workplace. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, anyway, I love Maddie already went over the millennial leadership themes that you identified and reading through those, as Maddie said, I also saw myself mirrored back, but again, I saw so many times in your book where I'm like, Oh, again, as an ancient millennial, I have had to act as an interpreter between a Gen X or a boomer and a younger millennial over some of these topics. Um, And one that really stuck out to me, and I forget, I think it was in the chapter on collaboration, you spoke about um, a 
manager or a boss of some kind who couldn't understand why the millennials would all go into a room Mm. for four or five hours and just chit chat with each other. And he or she really wanted to kind of get in there and maybe reprimand them, but then they would come out and they would have all these wonderful ideas. And I was like, oh, how many times would my boss be like, I don't understand why the interns have to both go together on everything and have to like stick together. And I'd be like, well, you know, I think because that I worked in a creative industry, I'd be like, well, that's kind of to an extent. Yes, it seems like they're running an errand, but this is also their creative time to work on problems. So um, there was a lot of that again, that I saw, you know, it was very easy for me to see the positive and the ne- the negative or the perceived negative aspects of each of the themes. Um, but I just loved it. And it made me feel really positive about being a millennial. So I'm going to say, I'm going to recommend to anyone uh, in the workforce who has either said, I hate managing <laughs> millennials, uh, particularly those millennials who don't think they're millennials and have said this. Um, I, I think this really is a, is a must read. So I'm, I'm so glad we found it and found you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I love those millennials who say, well, I'm a millennial, but I don't really think I act like a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I like, I I enjoyed that it was written from someone who wasn't in the millennial generation to kind of give it that perspective as well. Because I think that's been something really rewarding for me about doing this podcast is not only giving a voice to millennials, but also interviewing people who are outside of the millennial generation to understand how they see us, because sometimes you're a little too close to it and you can't get the nuance. So I really enjoyed that. But to take a step back, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what made you want to focus on this topic for your dissertation and then later on transform it into a book. Like, what did you find so interesting about this type of generational study? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to, because um, I didn't yeah, I didn't start out down this path. I started out... Um, I, I, was working and um, my uh, department was growing and I realized that I needed to develop leaders within my department and I kept doing leadership training and trying to um, really trying to bring out the leadership skills in everyone and then decide who could be leaders either on projects or promoted to managers and And what industry were you in just to provide um, some context information technology okay and so as um as I kept working with people and doing um, leadership training for them, because um, I liked providing it myself as much as possible or working with them individually or putting my own courses together for my department, I started seeing that people had different leadership styles. And um, so I, I kept, and I, of course, I would take some leadership training myself and I'd go through all the traditional types of leadership training of, you know, learning about different styles of leadership, traditional styles of leadership. And um, but I started noticing that people who were different ages um, really responded differently to things. And I had a really diverse team, which was wonderful because I did not do that on purpose. I didn't hire a diverse team on purpose. But um, at one point, HR came to me and said, do you realize that you have the best diversity um, reports in the company? And I'm like, no, I didn't realize that. And what they weren't even accounting for was the generational diversity. Mm-hmm. But it was diverse in all the ways that HR is looking for anyway. But by the time I finished hiring people, you know, I had I had every kind of age group represented too. So um, I uh, 
start just started noticing well uh, and to add to it i have um children who are both gen x and and a daughter who's millennial yeah that kind of helped me recognize that they were different too from each other and um that's an interesting observation because you would think you know being maybe a younger gen x and an older millennial they would be pretty similar but if you could yeah. perceive the differences that's interesting yeah so i and and so I, then i just i started getting um just i mean just really picking up on how they behave differently and about this time as my daughter went into college i decided that i was interested in going back to school and getting my phd and I wanted to focus on leadership, but I hadn't really thought about this at first, about looking at generational differences. So then once I got to my dissertation, well, as I started writing papers in school, I started focusing on generational differences. And I really wanted to write my dissertation on the different leadership styles by generation. And my dissertation um, coach um, said, you, that's way too broad a topic to begin with and the other point part is that there's no research on millennials as leaders mm. and so you need to do that because you aren't going to be able to find it yeah and so that's that's going to be what you need to do so i said okay you know i know some millennials um i couldn't uh, first of all i mean i couldn't really interview my daughter's friends because that you have to interview people you don't know, but I could start there and say, you know, how can I start finding people? And, and um, so that helped me in finding millennials that were in leadership roles and um, talk to them and you know, do whatever research I could and then find people I could interview and uh, talk, talk to them about how they viewed leadership. So then really, you know, putting the questions together about, what do you think a leader is? How do you view leadership? How did you become a leader? And so really focusing on that. That's awesome. Did you find that, you know, when you were talking to these millennials that, you know, they were eager to talk about their experiences and, you know, because I one of the things that really stuck out to me and we should say for the audience how we found Carolyn, she's also a fellow Kappa, which both Shay and I are, and they did a little blurb about her book. And I agree, like, you know, we've been doing this podcast for almost two years now and I haven't seen, you know, another book about millennial, specifically millennial leadership, definitely. Um, so did you find that when you were interviewing people, they were really apt to talk about their experiences and, wanted their voice to be heard or did you kind of feel like you were maybe on an island unto yourself doing this type of research? They really were anxious to be heard. So just like you said, you know, I think a lot of millennials feel like I'm in the workplace and nobody pays, nobody hears me. And so a lot of them were, um, well, everyone I talked to said, I, this is exciting. I'm really excited that you want to ask me these questions and then have an opportunity to talk to you about it and that's going to appear in a dissertation and um, i mean at the time i didn't know i was going to write a book and, yeah what kind they, of made you want to turn it into a book well when i got through with the writing my dissertation i was really um happy with what i had learned and then as um you could see at the end of the book i did take the information and put it together 
not only what I had learned about millennials, but then did a chart that said, and here's how it compares to the other generations, because I couldn't help myself on that. It's like, <laughs> that's what I really wanted to know is how you compare everyone and um, you know what their differences are. So um, when I got through it, I thought, well, no one reads dissertations. And all people who read dissertations are the people who are working on their dissertations. And this is a lot of good information that people in the workforce could really use because I, you know, people would come to me and say, well, what about those millennials? You know, I've got these millennials working for me or in my office and I just don't understand them. I said, well, if you would read my dissertation, <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to read your dissertation. And, you know, dissertations have all those that APA required references that right. are hard mm -hmm. to read because you're reading along a sentence and then you've got all those citations in it and you got to skip over those. And so, okay, well, I'll just re, I'll just change it into a book. And so then I started working on it. I thought, okay, it doesn't just change into a book because um, the the structure that's required for a dissertation still doesn't lend itself to a book. So. It took me another three years to wow. really take the content and make it say what I wanted to say, you know, really saying the same thing, but way so that I thought it would be interesting to a reader of a book mm -hmm. that would say, I'm, I work in an organization, I'm a manager, and I have millennials working for me, and I need to understand what I don't get about these millennials, like why I don't get why they go off together or why they come in and they're so passionate about something. And I'm not passionate about that, but you know, that's all they want to work with is this because they're passionate about it until that person gets through that thing they're passionate about. They don't want to do anything else or why they insist on taking time to do volunteer work in the community mm -hmm. or making mm -hmm. sure that we as a company have a social consciousness theme that we're working on or you know why is that important to them mm -hmm. and so it's like well that's what the book needs to say in a way that a manager would understand it yeah yeah i think those are two two things that i had recently like as in this past week I had, we've been having this issue surrounding like the budget and my coworker who she's a year older than I am also a millennial was like, she actually said those words to me. She was like, I just don't feel heard. Like we've brought this mm -hmm. topic up and this was something that we've been talking about for like a year. So it's really frustrating. And I think it definitely is a generational difference on like, what should the company be spending money on that type of thing. And there's a difference in opinion. And so she said that to me. And then I was actually talking to another colleague about, you know, the fact that I think a big millennial topic is that work-life balance for a lot of baby boomers or people of that age means, oh, you have a kid and therefore or a family or maybe an aging parent and you need time off. But that doesn't really apply to millennials, especially young millennials that aren't at the age of having kids. But it's like if you ask to leave early at five, you know, when everyone else leaves at six so that you can go volunteer for your community and maybe you're willing to come in an extra hour to compensate for that, that's not viewed as as important as mm -hmm. dealing with your own family. So that was something that another coworker was expressing frustration over. So I'm really glad you have highlighted those topics. Yeah. Work-life balance, I think, is the biggest. That, that and technology changes. So I think 
I think work-life balance is so huge. It's like a lot of people would say, well, I don't know how you could possibly have a work-life balance issue. You don't have kids at home. So, you know, what, what is it? It's all the side hustles. Yeah, the side hustle. But it's huge because you have a whole different perspective and you balance things so differently. I mean, I know that it's in the book, but we didn't have the term work-life balance when Mm -hmm. I started work. Nobody used that term. And so for a baby boomer to understand what you think of as work-life balance is hard for a a lot of baby boomers, especially the older ones. And so, I mean, they're starting to get it, but it wasn't until Generation X came into the workplace and said, you know, I don't really want to stay in the office all the time like you do. So, I mean, one thing to to kind of understand is that to a baby boomer, you wanted to be perceived as working harder than anyone else in the office. And so you would put your coat on your chair when you went to lunch so everyone would think that you were still working and that you didn't really take a lunch and that you never left your office. And so that's just so opposite. And then Gen X came along and said, wait a minute, what are you getting out of all of this working constantly? Mm -hmm. And then millennials come along and being um, multitaskers and having uh, technology at your fingertips where you can leave the office and go do something else, your side hustle or your volunteer work and still be in touch with the office if you're needed then and you're saying well why can't I go do that because you don't need me at the moment and, mm-hmm. and if you need me mm-hmm. I'll be available to you and it makes perfect sense to you but yeah. to that baby boomer boss it's like what you're not sitting in your chair in case I want to call you to come talk to me yeah right and I think then that kind of goes on to what really struck me the themes that struck me were the ones about trust and transparency because Mm -hmm. again millennials are willing to work hard and they're willing to go the extra mile and they want to be creative and they're they're doing all of this stuff but as you said and i just thought this was such a a striking quote uh, so to quote carolyn uh you said the millennial generation doesn't hesitate to ask questions and expects to get answers so where i think uh boomers for example you know, you would never ask, well, why, why do I need to leave my coat at the chair? And where millennials, ex- not only do they ask that question of why can't I take my lunch or why can't I go do this? They expect an answer. And, and if the answer is because I'm the boss and I say so, and there's a slight chance I might need you, they're not going to accept that. And they feel like they have the opportunity to go elsewhere if they can't get the answers that they need or want. Yeah, and you're going to come up with a with your side of the story and your justification for mm-hmm. well, here's you know here's my view, here's how I see that, here's what I could do for you. Whereas, um, you know, the the question asking is great because my my perception when I was young in the workplace was I wasn't supposed to ask questions. I was supposed to figure it out for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to be intuitive. I needed to be smart. I needed to research things, figure things out for myself. And so if I asked questions, I was perceived as stupid, you know, not, mm-hmm. not a very good employee. And that's, you know, that's just not the way things are today. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, that openness, that ability to ask questions, that desire to learn instead of like feeling like, well, I can't ask. I got to somehow just tough it out till I figure it out. And Mm -hmm. but millennials today are like, 
soaking up information, like always curious, always asking, point mm-hmm. me in the right direction to where I can learn something else about what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah. And I, this is another experience that I've had to, I'll say translate for lack of a better word in the <laughs> workplace where my mom, my boss would be like, why? I don't understand why they're asking me this question every five seconds. Like I, I don't want to micromanage their task. And then, you know, the explanation as well, millennials, they want to do it right. They want to do it right the first mm-hmm. time. So they're going to ask more questions and then they probably won't bother you about it, but they'll be on to asking you questions yeah. about the next task. It's so on um, point. Even today, yeah. I just feel so seen with this whole conversation, this yeah. whole book. <laughs> it's like every day of my life is just all of the chapters of this book. Um, I was having a conversation today and it was with a, a Gen X person and he was like, looking for questions for something. And I was like, well, do you want to loop in so-and-so? Because they're going to have to approve the final version of this product. And I don't want to have to do it more than once. So I'd rather just like ask all my questions now, do it right the first time. And then my time's not wasted. And it's the product that they want. And this person was like, I don't think that was the response that he was expecting was for me to be like, let's get all of our questions answered up front and then do it once as opposed to like iterating a couple different times of the thing. So I definitely have felt that before. Yeah. Because millennials, we despise busy work, right? There's to us, there's no time wasting. Yeah. Yeah. No time. There's no point in doing multiple iterations just so we can be seen sitting at our desk. We'd rather again, do it once, maybe twice. Or it's like, that's time I could be doing. Yeah. That's time I could be doing volunteering or working on other things. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. Um, Going back to the book, Carolyn, was there anything in your research that you had found to be surprising that maybe you hadn't noticed in your millennial kids before um, doing the research that was really eye-opening? Or was it all kind of stuff that you expected? (laughs) Well, a lot of it I expected, but I think, you know, I mentioned in that book that when I talked about passion and I ended up putting that as the first chapter mm-hmm. was that, um, I think I said I was on the third interview when I just was really kind of blown away by the fact that everybody I talked to was so passionate and that I just felt like um, I hadn't really realized how passionate millennials were about and are about what they believe in and that wanting to feel passion for what they're doing um, is so important to them. It's like, I don't want to work on what I don't want to work on, but when I want to work on something, when it's a passion for me, I'm going to give it 200%. And I'm all in. And um, so just the way that they spoke to me and the way that that just came across to me was um, more than I expected. And, you know, I probably saw it in my daughter, but I just thought it was her personality. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that was really more a millennial thing. Um, So, yeah, that that one um, surprised me. Um, And then probably that strong sense of uh, trust and honesty. Um, Just how... So one of the things that I learned in in doing research is that no matter what age group you are, 
trust and honesty are top values for leaders. But the order of where it falls in the top five um, values varies by which which group you're in. And so the fact that it was just so high for millennials. Um, and I guess it isn't that I wouldn't expect it. It's just that being so young, I would have kind of expect that to bubble up later in life mm-hmm. and not to be there. So at such an early age, maybe that was it. But that just came across really emphatically. And that whole, um, as one person um, said, um, you know, you just you just know when it's the right thing to do. When something's the right thing to do, you just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Not exact words, but, you know, you just should, you just should do the right thing, you know, just so emphatically. Right? Yeah. And, uh, I, I think... That's one thing, talking about young people in general, that I was wondering about this book, because I think something Shay and I struggle with when we are talking about things on this show is that trying to parse out what is just a young person in their 20s and 30s issue and what's a millennial issue. And I think over time, as more, you know, PhDs like yourself do this kind of generational research while interviewing people while they're still in this stage of life, it might become more apparent but how did you kind of adjust for in your research you know things that are truly quote-unquote millennial and things that are just a trait of young leaders yeah that I I really tried to look back at um, where your values come from and what are core values for a person because we really get our values between the ages of five and eighteen And so um, what is at the core of a person as a value? So when someone says something to me like, well, you know, millennials change jobs all the time. And so that bothers me that millennials change jobs. I'm like, why does that bother you? I mean, I had five jobs the first five years I was out of college. Wow. And, and, And then I worked everywhere else I worked long periods of time. 12 years, eight years, 10 years. Um, but I mean, that was pretty long. It's not like I worked one place all my <laughs> life, but, you know, but I was young. I, you know, went, moved one place and then I went back to graduate school and then I moved back to my hometown and then I moved to Atlanta, you know, so things happen when you college. So I don't, I don't consider that a fault that millennials are changing jobs the first few years out of college. Now, if they're 40 and they're still changing jobs every two years, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they're 25, 30, and they're changing jobs every two years, that's settling in. <laughs> that's finding yourself. And so that I wouldn't, I don't even count that as, that's to me isn't a characteristic. You know, that's just something that happens in life. And so that's more where are you in your stage of life? Whereas trust and, um, you know, the, the true, the true values, um, of your life are the things that, that I look at. Did you, um, when you were doing your research for this book, every generation has something that is not so complimentary about them. And I love this book because it we millennials are spoken negatively of so often. Um, and I love that the book put them in such a positive light or put us in such a positive light. But I was wondering if there was anything that, um, you know, as a boomer and a mom and an academic struck you as negative about our generation. Oh gosh. 
Oh, I really try not to think about that negative. Mm-hmm. But um... <laughs> well, that's good. It's fine if there's nothing. Or maybe just constructive feedback that yeah, we can work on. Feedback for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know that that whole thing that people say all the time about um, millennials being entitled, mm-hmm. that they feel like they're entitled. So there's a certain air that comes across as like, well, why do people say millennials feel entitled? And so there is, if you're not a millennial, there is something about the generation that there's an expectation. Mm-hmm. Now, here I go defending millennials. I will tell you, I blame it on their parents. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame it on the millennials. Yeah. <laughs> but there is an expectation that millennials have of what they, where they should be and what they should be doing. It's like when they get out of college and they've been told that they can do anything. So they walk into the workplace. It's like, I can do anything. Oh, mm-hmm. no, I don't think you can really. <laughs> you yeah. learn just like the rest of us did. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's so important that you say that because that's something we've pointed on this podcast a number of times. It's like any criticism of a of a generation as a whole, it falls on the parents. Like, yeah, who was handing out all the trophies? We weren't giving them to ourselves, you know? Right. Like, there's someone out there. So so that just drives me crazy. Like the helicopter parents, the hel and the the trophy givers. It's like, do you know what you're doing to these kids? I know. Did you? feel like you parented uh, your Gen X children differently than your millennial um, daughter? Not really. Yeah. Not really. So I think, um, I mean, I, you know, I may have, but um, not intentionally. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of the differences um, are because of their peer groups. And mm-hmm. I think you learn from your cohorts, from your peers. Mm-hmm. as much as you do from your parents. So it's a combination of who your parents are because you know, you've got millennials who have uh, baby boomer parents and you've got millennials who have Gen X parents. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and yet some of them, some of them are different. Some of them. Yeah. Well, and that's so such a good, yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, my dad is in his seventies or early seventies pop, sorry. <laughs> And Maddie's dad, how old are you, and your parents are in their fifties, uh, right? Yeah, I shouldn't know their exact age, but my dad's turning sixty sometime soon, maybe in the next couple of years. And then my mom is like in her mid fifties. Mm-hmm. I think my dad's fifty eight. I can do yeah. math in my head. But that's <laughs> that's a very especially yeah. again for those boomers had a wildly different experience given whether they were born in nineteen. 19- 46 or 1964 so I mean I think that's that's interesting again yeah, that's so, a whole topic for your next book Carolyn. <laughs> yeah so just like older and younger millennials have some differences even though we put them in the same category older and younger boomers are a little can be a little different too yeah did you find through your research any differences between younger and older millennials that you interviewed um i not a whole lot. Um, because I require that everyone be um, working and have a leadership role. And, you know, I did this research a few years ago. Um, my intended to be what is now on the older millennial side. So I would say they were mid to older. 
And the ones that were close to the top end kept saying, um, kind of like Shay, like, um, you know, I feel like I'm an older millennial. I'm not sure that I totally fit the millennial mold. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I am kind of a millennial, but I can see the younger millennials are different. <laughs> but they still were kind of the same. Yeah, I feel like it's a funny thing in like popular culture and media in general of not really taking a person or a cohort seriously until they're in their 20s. Meaning like a lot, I've seen a lot of things and we've talked about on this podcast of like people tagging things as a millennial trait when really it's about, it's like a high school thing, right? So that would be like Gen Z, but it's because Mm -hmm. they haven't really come of age yet. They're not the topic of discussion. I kind of felt that way about millennials too. It was only in the last five to 10 years really that it became very zeitgeisty to talk about them, but it's like there were 20 years of existence before then. And so I find that really interesting. And I think it speaks to, you know, I don't know if this is an American culture thing or what it is, but not, you know, taking adolescence and high school age kids experiences seriously or not finding it worth studying. I mean, obviously, Carolyn's book is about workplace in general. So you need a certain age to achieve that but I just find it really interesting I've read so many articles and it's just a little bit of lazy journalism I think where they're talking Mm -hmm. about something that's popular in high school kids now and saying that it's a millennial thing when it's like no most millennials are you know in their 30s now so but but I do think it's interesting that you are seeing a shift away from that finally I think a little bit because Gen Z has become I mean they're really going to be known as this protest I think they'll be known as you know, a protest generation and mm-hmm. they're really have a loud voice and everything that had came out of the Parkland shooting and, and all of that. So I think you do have some journalists and academics starting to look at Gen Z a little more um, rigorously. Uh, but I do think in any kind of pop culture media, it's still like millennial, millennial, millennial. And it's, and really, yeah. again, most millennials are now in their mid twenties to mid thirties, um, if not even a bit older. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be interesting because um, now millennials, baby boomers are a huge generation. Gen Z is a smaller group. Um, millennials are a huge group. Oh, wait a minute, did I say that right? Baby boomers are a big group. Um, Gen X is a smaller group. Millennials are a big group. Gen Z is going to be another huge group. Yeah, I actually wrote that down. Um, that really struck me from the book as well. And since I have it in front of me, I'll just share it with our listeners. Um, Carolyn writes in the book that there are 80 million boomers. There are 80 million millennials, but there are only 46 million Gen Xers. Yeah, so I think that's really significant because it's mm-hmm. no wonder that the Gen Xers feel overwhelmed by the millennials. Yeah, and I think I've seen this, you know, not in my career super recently, but it's certainly earlier in my career, Gen Xers would feel a little bit encroached upon by millennials coming up because there, you know, there is a chance because just of the, the numbers game for us to kind of jump a few rungs on the ladder just because they need to fill, fill spaces. Um, and I think that certainly, I've always found it a little, I find it easy to work with boomers and I find it a little bit difficult to work with Gen X. So um, I think that's something that definitely contributes to that occasional uh, difference. I found it the same way that especially Gen X women as like a millennial woman feel Mm -hmm. that 
sense of competition. But I do feel there's specifically millennial or uh, baby boomer men that work in my office. I think they see they identify with me through their daughters in a way, and they find me amusing and like fun to work with in a way. So I feel that that I feel the same way, basically, that like the baby boomer to millennial, because most of us, you know, there's some cuspy people that millennials that were raised by Gen X, but I would say the vast majority were raised by boomers. They can identify a little bit more because they have kids that are in the same stage of life and can kind of maybe humor our antics a little bit more. Whereas Gen X is like, who are these whippersnappers coming at my heels? (laughs) That kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think that happens a lot. I mean, I've heard, I've heard that comment, comments like those a lot. So there seems to be more of a connection there. And so you look at, at that, the, the connections being made, and then you look at the sizes and the fact that there are fewer Gen X. And so they, I think they do feel threatened and for good reason. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Um, so one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is the fact that when I started all this, there were when it, the whole reason this became a really big topic was because suddenly there were four generations in the workforce when millennials came along. And so now we really are back to three. There are not many of that older group in the workforce anymore that I uh, call traditionalists by just kind of labeling uh, all of the older ones. And so we really have baby boomers, Gen X and millennials in the workforce. And very soon, we'll start having Gen Z. So we'll be back to four again. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that starts to push on things as they get out of college and start. I mean, you'll have a few who don't go to college who are going to start entering the workforce sooner or go you know, a year or two to college. But then when they really start graduating from college and start jumping into the workforce in a big way, it's going to be very interesting. Yes, I agree. Well, I think that was all of my questions. Shay, do you have any last questions for Karen? Uh, no, I think I just ha- wanted to point out one more thing just in relation to millennials and technology because I found it a bit funny. Um, I love that you talked about how millennials have a wonderful facility with technology, but they <laughs> don't necessarily want to be asked to fix the remote or <laughs> fix the speakers. And part of that is an embarrassment if they don't know how to fix it. And I just thought that was really interesting because there's nothing I hate more than when someone's like, you fix the projector. And I'm like, I don't know how to fix the projector. I know nothing about projectors. Right. Um, You're a millennial. You should be good at technology. I'm like, yeah, I no, I can barely work my cell phone. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you're good at social media, you can do mm-hmm. Skype, you can do all these other things. It's like, but why can't you fix this? Yeah. But and then I do that to Maddie. I'll be like, Maddie, how does the internet work? <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yes. that was just my kind of last uh, thought. But um, this has been so wonderful. Uh, so our concluding segment is called our archery range. So we're going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Just answer them with whatever comes to mind first. Um, uh, we'll ask you for a bunch of favorites mostly so it doesn't have to be your very top favorite it can be a favorite okay all right Maddie you want to begin sure favorite book um Gone with the Wind classic you're like the second or third person recently who's yeah I was gonna say we got that one as well 
um, favorite movie? Um, I don't think I have one, but maybe the same, the Gone with the Wind movie. Yeah. Favorite television show? Um, I think I'd have to say Seinfeld. Such a slice of life, you know, <laughs> and about nothing but people. <laughs> uh, favorite childhood snack? Oh, I loved Pop-Tarts. Oh, when yes. I was up. Those are good. And I don't yeah. eat them at all today. <laughs> <laughs> favorite millennial leader? Ooh, 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 ooh. Wow, that's an interesting one. Um, I get when you said that comes to the top of your head. I miss you. I so I don't know how much this is a good one or not, but I adore Jenna Bush Hager. Yes, <laughs> she's a good one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You had a night. I liked that part of the book. You had a good list of like some millennial leaders and like their different traits in there, which I really liked. Yeah. I'm just happy to see she got a um, making progress with NBC and now is on the, the 10 o'clock hour of the Today Show. I yeah. think she's so cute. She is. Um, what am I looking Oh, favorite oh. place you've traveled but never lived? Um, I don't know if it's because they're mo- it's the most, my most recent travels um, or it's really my favorite, but... Um, year and a half ago I went to Ireland mm. and the people there were just great I loved Ireland it was so much fun it's a great choice favorite place in Atlanta mm. favorite place in Atlanta yeah oh wow oh that's a hard one <laughs> Atlanta's got a lot of great places um, wow I don't know. The thing that comes to my mind that I would say that if you were, that um, it's just a really cool place is to go to the Fox Theater. Nice. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I think that's all the questions I have. Our archery range. Yeah. Okay. So, Carolyn, thank you so much. Um, Where can our listeners find your book? Um, It's on Amazon. They can order it there or they can go to carolynfor.com and order it. I'm there where I have a blog that I don't post to very often, <laughs> but they can find the book there. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Right. I have really enjoyed it. All right, campers, we will see you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.